Hey, what is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 186. Y'all know who I am by now. I am your host, Armand Lee. Thank you all so very much for listening, taking an hour and a half out of your busy schedule to just listen and vibe with yours truly. It means the world to me, and hopefully you guys are as excited about this show as I am about giving it to you because, man, yo... Y'all know me. I try not to talk about the Knicks on this show, but y'all going to have to allow me some grace because in quarter number two, we're going to finally address something that I have had to hear and, you know, deal with the chirps for like a year, almost two years now. And that is Chris Stops Porzingis and the, the Porzingis trade, if you will. But I'm not here to, to celebrate. I'm here to talk about a larger issue. And as someone who is a big proponent of analytics, I think this is the the vessel that best kind of encapsulates and, and illustrates why I subscribe to advanced statistics so much. Christoph Porzingis and that trade is the perfect example of perceived value and actual value. And we're going to get to that in quarter number two. All of that. And Demetrius Andre, my goodness, if y'all wasted 45 minutes of your life Saturday like I did, I know you feel in the way. But even more than that bullshit fight that we saw was the politics. And yo, as someone who loves boxing the way I do, the politics, boxing gets in its own way. We're going to address that, all of that, and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First quarter. It's something that most of us particularly if you're a sports fan, we have all learned along the way, right? Deshaun Jackson kind of became the face of celebrating before you cross the end zone. We've seen Deshaun Jackson literally drop the football before crossing the end zone, end zone multiple times. But before it was Deshaun Jackson, it was Leon Lett who famously held the ball out. The Cowboys in the Super Bowl were dominating the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I believe it was Don BB came back and knocked the ball out of his hand. Ball bounced out of the end zone, touchback, yada, yada. It didn't matter because the Cowboys were routed Buffalo. But the point is, you can't celebrate before the win. How many times have, and I know this has happened to y'all, where maybe there's like a little personal bet on a game, or maybe, you know what I'm saying, a homeboy, a brother, sibling, whatever the case, their favorite team is playing your favorite team, and your team gets up. 10 points in a football game, 17 points maybe, or in a basketball game, you're up by 20. And you call them, and the game's not over, and you call it, and you talking your shit, and you doing your thing. And then soon enough, almost instantly, as soon as you make that call, that premature call, what happens? The opposing team goes on a run, and then you end up losing after you talk shit. So now you got to eat all of that. You got to eat the fact that you may have jinxed your squad, and you got to eat the fact that your sibling, loved one, friend, whomever has like added a- ammunition to pop off. We've all been there, right? Why do I bring that up? Because as I'm watching Steph Curry literally do things that is it's it's hard to even properly put into perspective the dominant season that Steph Curry has had thus far 
The Golden State Warriors are still not a good team. Not a good team at all. And every time, and I have nothing against Steph Curry. Steph Curry, in my opinion, is one of the... You could you could make the case that Steph Curry is a top 10 player of all time, and I would not look at you crazy. I've gone back and forth myself. There's a... Between Steph, KD, Kobe, Jerry West, Oscar Robinson, those five guys, you can put them... They all kind of around that 8 to 12, you know, area, at least in my book. Steph Curry is a phenomenal player. Steph Curry is one of the greatest of all time. Steph Curry is one of the most fun players that I have ever seen on my 38 years on this planet. And not just in basketball, but in, but in any sport. So this is not an indictment or a critique on him. Because Steph Curry is not the person who got in front of a microphone and television cameras and said that they as a team, the Golden State Warriors as a team, were, quote, light years ahead of the rest of the league. You, Bob Myers coming out in front of everybody saying that the Warriors were light years ahead of everyone? That's the equivalent of texting your homeboy, yo, what I tell you, we smashing y'all when your football team is up 17 points in the third quarter. Don't do that. When Bob Myers made that statement, the Warriors were defending champions en route to winning 73 games in a regular season. Since he made that comment, the Warriors, to their credit, have gone to four finals. They went two and two in that time, then went to the lottery and are on the verge of going to the lottery again. Oh, by the way, Clay Thompson tore his ACL and then tore his Achilles. Oh, by the way, he also was maxed. Oh, you also extended Draymond Green, who is clearly washed. Oh, and then as the cherry on the top had an opportunity to draft LaMelo Ball. Clearly the best player in this past draft. And he drafted James Weissman. That don't sound like light years to me, bro. The Warriors have won three championships. And yeah, I get it. They signed Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant plays for Brooklyn now, bro. Yeah, you went to four straight finals. Well, I'm sorry. You went to five straight finals. It don't look like, it don't feel as if they're going to any finals anytime soon. In fact, if you had to make the wager, what is more likely to happen? The Warriors returning to a finals or the Warriors trading Steph Curry? Shit, I know which side I'm leaning towards, and it ain't a lean. That's a gangster lean like a motherfucker. Elbow all the way out the window. So, I don't want to act as if they did not dominate basketball. They had a five-year run. Seven years if you count those first two years when they were like the most fun team in the league when they took the Spurs, I think it was the six games, caught everybody by surprise, and they were eliminated by the Clippers, and then Steve Kerr took over, and then the rest is history. Like, they have etched their names in the history books as one of the most fun, but also dominant and game-changing franchises in the history of American sports. That is real. That cannot be taken away, nor should it be overlooked. 
but I can't get past the fact that they started smelling their own shit. Don't talk to me about being light years ahead of wherever and you got the same amount of rings as the motherfucking Miami Heat. Dog, we killed LeBron. We killed Dwayne Wade. We killed Chris Bosh. We killed Pat Riley, Mickey Harrison for not one, not two, not three. Remember that? We we like to this day we still take shots at the the Heat for that. In 4 years they won two championships and then it was done. The Golden State Warriors are still trying to piecemeal this whole thing together. They've gotten three, and we don't ever talk. We don't give them nearly the much heat as we did to Miami for quote-unquote being in light. Slim, they lost to the fucking Raptors. The Toronto Raptors. You understand? You can't talk to me about being light years. And you come up with, like, like it's, it's similar to, like, the Boston Celtics. And again, I get it. KD got hurt. But that's real. That's the reality of the situation. Nobody talks shit about the Warriors when they won their first championship. And Mike Conley was hurt. And we know about Kyrie. We do talk about Kyrie and Kevin Love being hurt. But the fact of the matter is injuries happen. They happen in the NBA. So yeah, KD was hurt. Guess who wasn't? Steph fucking Curry. As we all look and marvel and rave about the phenomenal play that Steph Curry is, is displaying for us. Steph Curry, we're talking about all NBA teams later in this show. He's 100% an all NBA player. Doesn't matter if they make the playoffs or not. He's just one of the best players, not just now, but ever. But if an organization is going to brag about being light years ahead of everybody, you can't have one of the all-time great seasons by one of the all-time great players ever and miss the fucking playoffs, bro. How does that make sense? It's a, it's a really a nasty thing that happens. And as a, a you know, a, an invested observer, if you will, the Warriors have done things that have made them look like assholes time and time and time again. But because, particularly in the NBA, it feels like, but in all realms of sports media, so many of the people who cover the leagues are so interested in being friends and friendly with the, the players and the, the teams and the stars of this storyline, if you will. So many of the people who cover the NBA are, and this is not a, a shot at them, really, and not a personal one at least, but there's so many people who it feels like to some on some le level, they are interested in being friends with the people who are the main participants in this story, which is the NBA. Case in point, Draymond Green says some of the, dumbest things and he doubles down and as it pertains to women's sports Draymond Green is an immensely talented player in his in his prime but also he has a bright future in my opinion um calling or covering or analyzing the professional game 
I really believe that. When Draymond Green is on TNT, he adds to that uh, that panel, you know? But when he starts talking about women's basketball and how they need to stop complaining and lowering the rims, and there are all of these kind of passive takes, but not nearly to the degree when someone who covers sports, and I'm not going to name any names, but there are a lot of these kind of trolls who cover sports. If they were to tweet something like what Draymond Green said in a press conference, oh my goodness, they would receive holy hell. But because Draymond says it, and Draymond is connected with a lot of these people, whether it's through uh, more than an athlete or the un the, the whatever all these different platforms that he shares with people, in many aspects, he's like colleagues to some of these people. And when you are friendly or have a relationship, a personal relationship, a positive, healthy one, you are more it's human nature. You're more reluctant to to to, to publicly like you know, give it to somebody that you may kick it with like that. That's human nature. There's nothing wrong with it from a personal standpoint. But when Draymond Green says some dumb shit like that, everybody gets quiet like church, like church mice. It gets cricket quiet out this motherfucker. But let someone who's not popular, if Colin Goward would have said some shit like that, he would have got his ass tore up, as he should. Not by fans like myself or you or people on social media. I'm talking about the people who routinely give it to one another. You, Whomever your favorite sports personality is, I'm sure they have given it the business to, to maybe not popular football players. You know, baseball players for sure. And maybe colleagues of theirs who lean a different way and who may, you know, typically get some shit off there that's not really the most thoughtful. Bama's are real quick to criticize them. But if you cool with somebody, you kick it with somebody a certain way, oh, it gets real, real quiet. And that's nasty because that's not news. That's not journalism. And, you know, I don't want this conversation to continue down this path because I'm getting a bit off topic. But it does concern me about the future of journalism because too often I see analysts and sports personalities more interested it feels like trying to get on like trying to get it popping as opposed to trying to be a journalist a, a well-rounded one Jerry Jones said some shit like yo we are light years ahead if James Dolan said some shit like that we'd kill them Khan, uh, the owner of the Jaguars, Tony Khan, whomever the case may be, right? If you say some wild shit and then it doesn't really pop off like that, oh, you're going to get killed. But for whatever reason, because so many people, so many people nowadays had some type of ties to that Bay Area Warriors connection. Or maybe have a personal relationship with Steve Kerr or Draymond or Steph or Clay. Or Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. He goes back and forth with fucking Michael Rappaport a week or so ago. Clearly homophobic tones in those tweets. And nobody read. More people were mad at Michael Rappaport for releasing private DMs than they were for KD. Saying homophobic slur. Like he was getting it off. This is a whole different topic that we could touch on. 
this was not my intent. So let me fall back. Let me digress, digress a bit. The point of this qu qu quarter, excuse me, is that Bob Myers and the Golden State Warriors, they started to smell their own shit and thought that, yo, we got this. And yeah, they signed Kevin Durant after winning 73 regular season wins. And yeah, after signing Kevin Durant, they won two more championships. And that's nothing to laugh at. I'm a Knicks fan. Ain't never seen a championship in my life. But don't tell me three rings is light years. Don't tell me that. LeBron got four. <laughs> you feel me? The Spurs have five. You, you can't get three with two of arguably the best 10 or so players of all time. And you feeling, and you feeling yourself? Come on, Slim. Where does that happen? Where does that happen? There's nothing wrong with celebrating your wins. There's nothing wrong in, in filling yourself because of your accomplishments. But when you start talking that shit before it happens, yo, Bob Myers and the Golden State Warriors got Kevin Durant, won two championships, found a way to keep KD, and just kept on compiling wins. And then after the fact, you'll never see it done like that again. We were light years ahead of the competition. Bong, I'm with it. Slim, we, there were people out here saying that the Warriors ruined basketball. They, they broke the NBA. That's how Bama's felt. Bama's felt a way. And even if they didn't win any more rings, if after KD left to go to Brooklyn, Bob Myers and the Warriors brass and the powers that be said, yo, we were light years ahead of the competition, and that's why we had that success. Five championships in a row. Like we, were, we went to five straight NBA finals. You'll never see that again. We were light years ahead of the competition. Dog, talk your shit. I'm not mad at that. I may disagree, but I'm not mad. But in the midst of a run, you telling me how you're light years ahead of the competition and you got the same amount of rings as the fucking Miami Heat, an expansion team? Man, sit your motherfucking ass down, Joe. And I love it. Though I love Steph Curry and though I want the most success for Steph and though I'm mad that the Knicks picked one spot behind the Warriors because I wanted Steph to go to New York way back when. I'd be lying to you if I told you I wasn't a bit happy each time I see Steph go off. Steph get busy, but the Warriors lose. Don't send that text message with your team up 17 in the third quarter. Don't send that text message with your team up 3-1 in a playoff series. You better wait till that shit is over. Because once you start counting them chickens before they hatch, oh man, ain't, ain't nobody talking about light years anymore. They're going to be talking about dog. How the fuck you let that happen? While we're pointing and laughing at you all throughout the way. Warriors fans, man, I know you feel away right now. It's tough. I know it's tough, but I want to hear from you. Matter of fact, you don't even have to be a Warriors fan. Maybe you agree with me. Either way, email me, tweet the show. I want to hear from you. You can always email us at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or always tweet at the show. Quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E show. Again, man, 
You can't pop off before the job is done. And definitely don't say you're light years ahead of the competition when in reality, you just really put yourself on a level. Three championships is a lot to be proud of. But in the, in, when the Lakers got God knows how many and the Celtics have however many and the Bulls and the Spurs, you can't pop off over three. That ain't light years over anybody. Particularly when you're about to go back to back. Not back to back championships. Hell, not back to back finals appearances. Back to back lottery shots. Ugh. All right, y'all. We're going to stay on the hardwood, though, because, you know, that may have been a little spicy. And as a Knicks fan, there really isn't much for us to have spice over. With one rather large six foot five exception. It's our second topic this week. Second quarter. It's funny. I just did the intro to the second quarter and I said six foot five, like a, you know, but in reality, I meant to say seven foot five exception. You know, six foot five exception could mean a whole bunch of different things depending on the sport, depending on the team. But when I talk about the NBA and the Knicks and say something like six foot five, six foot four or seven foot five, seven foot four, excuse me. Pretty clear that I'm referring to Kristaps Porzingis. And, you know, I told people a long time ago, basically when I first started the show, that I'm not really into talking about the Knicks for a multitude of reasons. Mainly, the Knicks aren't good. (laughs) And even though they are having a decent season this year, and by decent, I mean, I think they're, what, three games over 500 at the time of this recording? In the Eastern Conference, mind you. But that like it's it's nothing that I don't want this to be like a Homer podcast where you hear me talk about whatever, you know, team or player that I enjoy. I like to think that we can provide a certain level of depth. However, I do feel that when I do talk the very, very few times I talk about the Knicks, it's in an objective way. Because a number one, they're not good, but B. You know, nobody wants to hear that. I know there are a lot of uh, podcasts, specifically like kind of indies or even some that may have signed on to the Locked On family or different types of podcasts, and the, the athletic, where, you know, it's so, I don't want to say it. it's a Homer one, but it, it's, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about. You don't really get much insight because there's always the rose tinted glass. There's always kind of the positive spin. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't do that with my one lone favorite team. But I do want to address the Kristaps Porzingis trade, not to like celebrate and to dance and say, ha ha, this, we didn't lose the trade, yada, yada, yada. But to kind of ring the alarm about how we as a basketball culture assess players. I came on this podcast at the time of that trade, even before, this is the thing, before things went sour, things went south between Chris Stops and the Knicks. I came on this podcast and was like, yo, Chris Stops is not as good as people are making it out to be. Here's a fact when it comes to the NBA. Every team, no matter how good you are, how mediocre you are, or how awful you are, will have a leading scorer. 
Every NBA team, no matter how great you are, how mediocre you are, how bad you are, will have a leading rebounder, a leading assist guy. In fact, I'm almost certain that every NBA team will have, no matter how great you are, mediocre or awful, a 20-point score. It's the main reason why points per game, PPG, has no bearing. We should not put any weight into PPG without any type of, without proper context because Kristaps Porzingis, he came in, he was the unicorn. He was different. He looked different. He was Latvian, but he liked hip hop music. They had the rap song and he had all these put back dunks and it was fun. His rookie year was fun. It was exciting. We're like, yo, this seven foot four guy can shoot and can dribble and He's a unicorn. He's so different. Year two comes, and it was unlike the first year. There was a lot of things to like. But then you start to realize, okay, wow, Kristaps doesn't rebound, and Kristaps doesn't shoot well, and Kristaps doesn't get to the free throw line, and he turns the ball over a little bit, and et cetera, et cetera, and the Knicks weren't winning. And then he gets hurt. And then year three, blows out his knee, and then the rest is history. And at that moment, year two, really, the hype was building. In year three, I think he was an all-star, and he's scoring 20 points per game. But at that point, it was like, yo, the numbers, the counting stats look really, really good. But Chris Stops is not producing wins. It's a, the main reason, and I've told this story so many times. The main reason why I have leaned heavily into advanced statistics, specifically wins produced per 48, is because I, as a Knicks fan, I saw all these 20-point scores on the team still not win anything. And the only time we looked really, really good is when David Lee was on the floor because winning being productive does not necessarily mean that you have to take a lot of shots because PPG in a vacuum without any context, PPG only tells you how many shots you take. I'm watching a Wizards game not that long ago and Bradley Beal scored 30 points and everybody's like, wow, Brad scored 30 points. And I'm looking at it like, yo, Brad took 26 shots. You scored 33 points on 26 shots. Like, you do the math. That's nothing to celebrate. And Chris stops because he's in New York and he's fun and he's different and he's unique and he has all these skills and he scores 20 points. Keeping Chris stops was not a legit viable option forward. And that was always the reason why I felt the Knicks could not lose the trade. The Knicks could not lose the Kristaps Porzingis trade because just not paying him max money was a win. And it was so crazy how so many people could not see it. People who say, and I say say when quotation marks, they say they love analytics, analytics and they're a part of the you know advanced data movement. And that's why I laugh every time when people say we're in this, you know, this this advanced statistic revolution. We're in this analytic revolution. No, we're not. 
people like to say that they sound that they like to say that because if they feel as if that makes them smarter for some reason when it doesn't but howard beck writer i think he works with sports illustrated now at the time he was with bleacher report immediately following the christophs porzingis trade he said the knicks lost the christophs trade they lost it and you know if you've as a Knicks fan i've lived this right the 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 young dynamic fun injury prone big man gotta get him or in the in this case, you got to keep them. The Knicks signed Amari Stoudemire to a huge contract. I think it was in 2010. And God bless Amari, man. Those first four months were some of the best, most enjoyable times to be a Knicks fan in a recent in like two decades. But Amari had a history of injuries, and unlike Kristaps, Amari actually was a dominant player. Again, the Phoenix Suns, this will be the first time the Suns make the postseason since Amari left. And that means even when Steve Nash was there, they didn't make the playoff run after Amari left. That tells you how dominant of a player Amari was in his prime before the injuries kind of started stripping him away of his talents. I say that to say, as a Knicks fan, I saw what happens when you spend the money so much of your salary cap to a player you can't even count on to be healthy. So even if you remove the fact that Chris Stops isn't the most efficient scorer and that he doesn't rebound like you would want from a 7-4 player and he doesn't get to the free throw line and he's not the most efficient player. I think this year, he's this is his highest effective field goal percentage of his career and is at like 52, 53. He's 7-5, right? Signing him, even if you remove all of the productivity issues and concerns, signing a player who is not healthy to a max contract, basically devoting a significant percentage of your salary cap to a player who you know will miss at least 20 games every year. It's insane. Now add on to the fact that he's not an efficient scorer. He doesn't rebound. He doesn't get your passes. He blocks the ball fairly well, but he, he doesn't get to the free throw line, like as I said. There's a lot of meat on the bone. Kristaps is not one of these marquee players, but because he scored 20 points, because his points per game was so high and he was an all-star in New York City, guess what? Oh, man, how did the Knicks let go of Kristaps Porzingis? Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis, this is a team, this is a tandem that's going to dominate the Western Conference for years to come. Hey, guys, guess what? The Mavericks were a seven seed last year. The Mavericks are a seven seed this year. And if Clay is healthy and all the, and you know, it's ifs and ifs, I get it. But the Luka has been dominant. Luka has been great. If Kristaps was as great as people thought he was because of his perceived value, there's no reason that, that to those two, if Kristaps was as great as the marketing machine behind him made so many people out believe that he was, there's no way the Mavericks are a seven seed for two years in a row. There's just no way. Was I upset that the Knicks didn't get more than Dennis Smith and two picks? Absolutely. 
But then there has been reporting that suggests that the Knicks, they called the Pelicans, try to get Anthony Davis. The Pelicans said no. The Knicks called the Minnesota Timberwolves, try to get Carl Anthony Towns. The Timberwolves said no. The Knicks called the Sacramento Kings, try to get De'Aaron Fox. The Kings said no. They even called the Utah Jazz to get Donovan Mitchell. And I'm not the biggest Donovan Mitchell fan, but even Utah said no to that. The Knicks called around trying to move Kristaps and trying to get young, talented players to varying degrees. AD, Cat, and Fox would have been perfect for me. Those teams didn't want Kristaps. So the Knicks, they acted fast. Maybe if you want to say that they panicked, that would be a fair assessment. But again, in my eyes, and this is not hindsight, you can go back to one of the first episodes of this show. And I said it then. And I've always stood by it, maintained it. The Knicks could not lose the Kristaps trade off the strength that they were not the team signing Amare, the injured big man who cannot stay healthy. And in fact, comparing Kristaps to Amare in any level outside of health is an insult to Amare Stoudemire. And this is not coming from this jaded, scorned Knicks fan. I still love Kristaps Porzingis. I'm a fan of Kristaps. I want him to do well. But if you were to tell me at the time of the trade that Julius Randle would be a better player than Kristaps Porzingis, I would have never believed it. But that's where we stand right now. The season Julius Randle is having right now from a productivity standpoint has been better than any season that Kristaps has ever had. Ever. This is not me being hyperbolic. This is the truth. And this is one of the main reasons why I hope more people subscribe to whatever advanced stat that you choose. But just understand it. Because looking at PPG would have the Howard Becks in the world and the Stefan Bondis and all the people at ESPN screaming. What were the Knicks doing? The Brian Windhorsts. The Knicks have no idea. The Rachel Nichols. Why would the Knicks trade Kristaps Porzingis? They were they were fleeced was the term. The Knicks don't have a Luka Doncic on their our team. There is no Luka. No one at no one nearly as good as Luka Doncic plays for the Knicks. And yet, you look at the Knicks record and you look at the Mavericks record. There's not much of a difference. The dream scenario would be obviously if the Knicks and the Mavericks both miss the playoffs and we get lottery luck and we get one and two or two and three or one and three or some combination of both those picks. But remember, 2023, that's the draft. That's the draft. That's the draft class where the high school kids, will. that's the first year that they can declare, which also means that that best draft class of the year before had to go to college for at least one year. So you're getting the best of both worlds. And the Knicks will have multiple first-round picks in that draft class. I don't know if the Knicks will cash in. I don't know if we will get lucky and sign the next or draft the next superstar, game-changing, foundational player. The odds are we won't. But we have a chance. We have the added shot, the added roll of the dice that maybe we can get lucky and, and draft that player. And that's because we chose correctly not to sign the inefficient, 
oft injured, high priced player because of perception. The Knicks are typically always the victim of falling for perception, for the perceived value, buying the Range Rover because everybody swears the Range is the best car, despite the fact that we all know Ranges depreciate faster than anything. Ask someone who's ever bought a Range how long they had to drive it before they started getting issues. That's what the Knicks do. We try to shortcut everything. I was happy, and Lord knows the Knicks have made plenty of mistakes, even after that Porzingis move. But the fact that they didn't take the bait, that they weren't pressured by perception to make a mistake. And again, it's important to make sure you all understand, I am not someone who hates on Kristaps. I want Kristaps to succeed. The fact that he is struggling with Luka? If you are a Mavericks fan, ask yourself this. Luka makes like $7 million and you're the seventh seed. What do you think happens once Luka's contract, when he signs that, re, that re, uh, when he resigns in Dallas? Because Luka's going to be an all-NBA player this year, and if he's healthy, he's going to be all, Luka's one of the best 10 players in the league. The price of the brick has gone up. So if you have one of the 10 best players in the league, at a significant discount. And that's, if you're paying one of the 10 best players, 7 million, 7.7, however much it is this season, million dollars, and you can't put around a championship level team around him, what do you think happens when you have to pay him? And that all stems from signing Chris Stops to that one contract. The fact that so many people, so many people who swear they're smart, who swear they believe in advanced stats and all this other stuff, couldn't see it then. Don't allow them. Do not allow them to try to use their sweet words and be slick talk to, to persuade you and say, hey, man, you know, I wasn't really wrong. Nah, motherfuckers was wrong. And if you're going to jump out there so strongly, you're going to be so adamant about something. Oh, no, you better be there to answer when people have questions. If y'all want to send Barack, like berate me or just flood me with questions about, yo, you was wrong about Brad. I will answer every single one of them. No one can ever say that when I'm wrong, I duck answering the call. Never. But when I see turn on ESPN, people, they get real quiet. Howard Beck hasn't said a thing. Rachel Nichols hasn't said a thing. Stefan Bondi from the New York, what, Daily News hasn't said a thing. Why y'all so quiet? Because when y'all was talking, when y'all was popping off, oh man, y'all had the megaphone. And the thing that is even worse than that, don't fake like you believe in advanced data. Because if you do, you knew from the jump, oh man, there are a lot of question marks surrounding Kristaps. There are a lot of question marks surrounding Kristaps. If you thought that the that Kristaps Porzingis was going to be the game-changing piece for Luka Doncic and the Mavericks, I have a lot of questions. But if you are one who felt that way, I will even shoot you some bail if you just don't believe in advanced stats. 
if you only look at PPG and, and highlights and like, oh man, he's a unicorn, and that was your way of you know making that type of um that type of opinion. That was like your your background, your research into that. Cool, I get it. Because I feel like once you make that decision, once you do that and you see how wrong you were, there is no there is no back and forth anymore. Now, that's that's for me case closed. You now know that that way of thinking is wrong. Why not try out researching advanced stats? But if you're one of these people who get on TV and, and your large platform and you 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 swear you do, you swear you know advanced stats and all this other stuff, but yet you thought that the Knicks got swindled, the Knicks got fleeced because they chose not to pay Chris Stops $26 million annually? A seven foot four player who's not that efficient offensively, who doesn't rebound and doesn't get to the free throw line. If you thought not signing him to a large contract, I don't want to hear you 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 talk about how much you you subscribe to and how much you listen to and use analytics because it's clear you don't. So my natural my next question is like, oh, why are you faking? Make no mistake, the Knicks are not in a point to where I can brag or anyone can brag about them. They are, even if they end up getting the fifth seed or maybe the fourth seed, and maybe they win around, they're so far removed from the first three seeds in the Eastern Conference that it doesn't matter. They need a significant, a significant increase in terms of talent. And I don't know if they're going to get it, but I know they're in a much better position much better position to add talent to get closer to the Bucks, to get closer to the Nets, to get closer to the 76ers, not having that albatross of a contract anchoring and weighing them down. And I say this as a Nick fan who still loves Kristaps Porzingis. But hey, like the Sinbad gif goes, those are just the facts. <laughs> Y'all heard the horn. Y'all know what time it means. That means it is halftime this week, man. Again, I'm not going to make it a habit of talking about the Knicks. Please understand, this is not me being braggadocious about the Knicks. I want to use that trade as a means to make sure people understand PPG doesn't mean a thing. Don't, don't look at someone's PPG and then think they're a good player because that is a high number. And conversely, don't look at someone's PPG Rudy Gobert, for instance, and say, man, he can't score. He's not good. That's just such an elementary, foolish way of thinking. It's 2021. We should be better. And more importantly, we should demand better from the people, the media members that we follow. All right, guys, it's time for halftime this week. And this week, we're going back to the call center because there have been so many topics over the past few days that have really got me thinking, really got me wondering. So I know the subjects in these matters, they've got to be questioning themselves and their moves and motives as well. So I'm feeling magnanimous, y'all know me. I'm here to lend a helping hand. So without further ado, let's check out the quarterly report call center. Welcome to the Quarterly Report Call Center, where you give me your biggest issues and I do my best to solve your problems. 
First off, give me your name, where you're from, and what's your issue this week. Hey, what's going on, man? My name is Trevor from Clemson, South Carolina, but about to move to Jacksonville, Florida. My question this week is, you know, typically I've been someone who's been high, held in the highest regard, been praised for my play and everything in between. But like recently I've been under fire because my job doesn't define me as who I am. And people are now questioning my desire for my next job. I don't want to change because this is the same mindset that I've had this entire time where people have called me the next big thing. So I don't understand why I would have to change because it's been working for me thus far. And I don't want to be someone who is justified by my employment. Do you have any questions, any way you can solve that problem for me? I'll shut up and listen now. Well, first off, Trevor, thank you for the call. I can understand how frustrating that would be for you because it is very frustrating for me, quite frankly. You know, the, the whole argument, this the, the counter argument to the shut up and dribble theory, if you will, has been quite successful. And it's successful because I think at some level, most people realize that athletes are not just these toys for people. They're humans themselves. You guys can feel things. You guys can have interests outside of whatever field of play you choose. So the idea that you would receive flack because you are saying that football doesn't define you, right? That you are a success, whether you win or lose. Like, yeah, you are, we all are. Like, that's nuts. Imagine telling someone, and I know this This is the, the default. The default for any time someone has an issue with something an athlete says. So, well, look how much money you make. Look how much money you make. That's so nasty, I hate that. I hate that we cannot remove someone's finances from their opinion. We don't go to the best neurosurgeon in the world who makes God, we don't go to the best CFO or one of the top CFOs, you know, who make God knows how much money and say, hey man, look how much money you, you, you can't, you can't have an opinion on this. You have to feel the way I feel about this in totality. Like it's just nasty. And like in half the time, we actually want our athletes to have opinions, to not be defined by their wins and their losses, to like be full-fledged people. We encourage them to speak out when there are social injustices, but then we get mad at them when they say, hey man, dog, like I'm successful right now. I don't need to, like I feel accomplished now. You, we have built this dude up, Trevor Lawrence, for the last three years. They've been telling us how he's the next great thing, the best prospect since the last great prospect. They said the same thing with Andrew Luck, and God bless Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck was a phenomenal player, and his career was cut short due to injuries. But even without the injuries, it won't like Andrew Luck was fucking Patrick Mahomes. You understand what I'm saying? We do this. So this dude has been successful at every level. Won a national championship. Has been, everyone has known he's going to be the number one. This does not affect his accuracy. This does not affect his preparation. Like all of these things. And we're going to like take shots at him because he's a fully developed human. Like my life is not being a producer. Trust me. And in fact, the more I do television, the less I watch television. 
That's real. Like, if you listen to me and talk to me and think that, hey, this is all our mind is, but man, you missing, you missing a lot. In fact, you missing pretty much everything about me. And I assume those same sentiments work in regards to how you choose to make a living and the person that you are. I couldn't believe some of the stuff Bamas was saying. They got all that stuff off on Trevor Lawrence. And, and I get it to some degree, right? Because I believe it was, um, I forget who was the man who said it. I forget who said it, but he was like, yo, if Justin Fields said something like this, then we'd be we'd be having completely different conversations. And that's true. And that's unfortunate, right? Because we've lived through this type of stuff before and we know how it would go. So we are very much defensive, right? We are very much defensive when it comes to um, how certain players, depending on your pigmentation, depending on your, your race, how you are criticized other compared to others. So I get it, but we can't get lost in the fact that Trevor Lawrence before, if had he not said that to Sports Illustrated, we all would continue down the path of praising Trevor Lawrence for being this prototypical prospect. This player who is a can't miss. Y'all been talking this shit for the years now. So because the guy says, hey man, I'm more than just an athlete. We've got platforms called podcasts, more than an athlete, and celebrating them as we should. So then how, again, going back to the, the point about earlier in the day, be consistent. Be straight. You can't have it both ways. All right, I went a little bit long with my guy Trevor, man. So we want to, you want to take that one call this week. But don't worry. We will be back in the call center answering some of your biggest concerns in a matter of weeks. That time was wild to me, man. Seeing seeing the 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 anger. The like worked up anger about what Trevor Lawrence, Lewis Riddick was the guy, I couldn't think of his name at the time, but, and it wasn't just him, it was so many people saying, hey man, I don't know, this this makes me, this gives me pause, I don't know if he's, I was like, what? <laughs> like, I wasn't, football is a weird sport, the whole draft process is really nasty, as I get older, I like it less and less, I used to just love it, just because of, you know, the newness, right, but, the draft process as a whole is real, real nasty. And like, this is just the latest example. The idea that someone can check all the boxes. I mean, the praise that we have heaped onto Trevor Lawrence for the last three years is nuts. We make it seem like this Bama can walk on water. And then all of a sudden, he says, yo, he says some things like, dog, I completely would understand and agree with. And in fact, I think... We all would want our athletes to be more than just these jocks. We've done the whole shut up and dribble campaign, more than an athlete campaign, and now Bama's mad because he says that, hey, man, like, dog, I'm good. What? I don't, I don't understand it, but you know what? It's fine. It's fine because I don't want to understand it. Like, certain things I have a natural curiosity for, but then when you, you cross over a certain line, uh, cross over a certain threshold of stupidity in my regard, in, in my estimation, I'm like, man, y'all go ahead and have it. Hey, man, but halftime is over now. First half is over. We've still got two quarters left to deliver on a fully entertaining and hopefully insightful show. So without further ado, we're going to get right back into it. But we're going to step into the boxing ring this week. 
for our third topic this week. Third quarter. Y'all know I love boxing. So if you're anything like me, you spent much of your Saturday, 45 or so minutes, watching Demetrius Andre and his quest to kind of put himself in the upper echelon of not middleweight champions, right? Because at 160, you know, he's right there with anyone. He's got a championship. He's undefeated. Championships, obviously, y'all know. It doesn't mean anything in boxing because everybody has a championship. But Andre is a really, really skilled and talented fighter. And he was literally, for two years now, has been chasing Canelo Alvarez or Jamal Charlo or Gennady Golovkin, the biggest names at or around the middleweight division. And he's on the zone. Canelo is on the zone now. They've, they've kind of gotten out of whatever the issues were with Golden Boy. So it felt as if, yo, calling Canelo out the way Andrade has over the time, some of the critiques that people have for Canelo, particularly of the fact that he doesn't fight a lot of the uh, athletic American fighters. Psst, that means black, <laughs> right? So a lot of people are starting to question Canelo. So everything kind of lined up in a perfect situation for Andre to kind of show and prove Saturday he had pretty much the entire boxing world to himself I'm not counting that Jake Paul stuff the entire boxing world was focused and he had an opportunity to to really put on a performance that left no doubt that there is no possible way forward in 2021 Canelo who is actively trying to be busy this year there is no way that Canelo would be able to ignore Andrade's call for a challenge. This was the opportunity sitting right in front of him. And look, let's be honest. Second round, Demetrius Andrade knocked down Williams. Knocked him down on the easy, nice, clean one-two right past the guard, dropped him. It was reminiscent of uh, Sergei Kovalev in his prime. This very, very strong, just straight Jabs and stretches will knock you down. And Andre did it. He was hitting him with the motherfucking Ryu uppercuts. I do You know what I'm saying? He was hitting him with them just over and over again. And then somewhere around the fourth round, the fifth round, Andre just was gassed. Now, he didn't really matter much because Williams wasn't a skilled or an elite boxer by any stretch of the imagination and he had no power on his punches but when you look at Demetrius Andre's face after that fight and he's got marks and scars all on his forehead and nose and under his eye and on his cheek it was not a coincidence in my mind that after two years of calling out Canelo Fucking Saul Alvarez. You feel me? Two years nonstop on Canelo's ass. That after this big opportunity for Andre, the boxing world was watching. The boxing world was kind of like, yo, Andre has a chance here to really get in, especially the second half of 2021. Because Canelo's like, dog, I'm fighting every four months. <laughs> Just give me somebody and I'm fighting. This was the opportunity for Andre. And it doesn't, it's not lost on me that after two years of Andre talking, talking, chirping, chirping, talking, 
etc., etc., coming at, barking at Canelo. After that dog shit performance, he treated Canelo Alvarez like he was fucking Candyman. He ain't say his name one damn time. He ain't say Canelo Alvarez's name once. Canelo might as well be Bloody Mary for fucking Demetrius Andre because he was cricket quiet as it pertained to Canelo. Like, think about this for a moment. You are chasing an opportunity for two years. What must happen for you when you have the entire, the, the, the entire boxing world is watching you? You have the entire day after a win, a trash win, but a win. How, like this is the type of stuff that interests me, right? The psychology of elite level athletes. I could talk shit about Demetrius Andre, but guess what? If I had to box Demetrius Andre, he'd kick my ass. You feel me? We all talk about NBA players often. Oh, he's a scrub. He's a bum. Play one of these motherfuckers in one-on-one. -on -one. Play him in front of your girl. Play him in front of your children. And get embarrassed right in front of your loved ones. Like, the worst of the elite athletes are supremely talented. These motherfuckers got tuition. Some A, a university offered these people tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars just to play a sport i'm not stupid i get it there's a financial benefit there and we can have that discussion later but just on the surface level these are people who are supremely gifted even the people who you consider the bums even the people who you consider the worst of the worst they're so much better than all of us in these fields who do you think is the worst quarterback in the NFL? Hmm? You think Dwayne Haskins? Maybe you think Dwayne Haskins is the worst quarterback in the NFL. This motherfucker went to Ohio State. <laughs> Ohio State paid him to play football, bro. Think about that. What's the thing that you love the most? Who, like... Whatever your salary is at job at your workplace, I hope you are one of the people who do what you love. Because if you are someone as talented at what you love, that you can flip that and then be paid for it, then bravo. You understand? Like, you figured it out. But I don't want to get down this rabbit hole. I digress. Supremely talented, supremely successful people there is a psychology that they must have to consistently perform at that level over and over again. This type of stuff fascinates me. Demetrius Andrade is an undefeated world champion. One of the best middleweights in the world. So I am fascinated by what has to happen internally. This man clearly does not lack confidence. This man clearly does not lack bravado to the point where he spends two years calling out the best fighter in the world. So what has to happen for all of that bravado, for all of that confidence, for all of that self-esteem to crumble to the point where you don't even say Canelo's name? He has been, he has been demanding a fight with Canelo Alvarez for years. And on a moment, at a moment, where you have the entire boxing world watching you, you're the only real fighter fighting on that day. 
after years of calling out Canelo, you were so dissatisfied with your performance that you don't even say, Cuh. forget about Canelo, forget about Sao. The C syllable doesn't even leave your mouth. What has, how, how, how upset, how devastating, how dissatisfied must you be in yourself for that to happen? That's the shit that I love, right? Because <clears throat> I'm in awe. I'm old now, Joe. You feel me? So, like, I don't get worked up. It's, it's weird growing older as someone who still loves sports, obviously. But my love for sport has changed so much, even in the last 10 years, but even more so, right? Where I would get worked up over wins and losses. And now my entry comes in how we discuss certain sports or how certain players have to persevere or what has to happen for a person to continue to put up this facade of invincibility when you clearly are disappointed in yourself. Boxing is such is one of the realest sports. In fact, it's probably, in my opinion, the realest sport because there is literally nowhere to run. There is no place to hide. Demetrius Andrade can't say shit. We all saw it. And there is a certain level of respect I have for him because we saw last year what happened to Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder didn't just lose. He got his ass kicked. And that's tough, particularly when you become not just successful, not just wealthy, but you may have built your entire, you may have attached your significance to your ability to fight. And I don't know this. This is speculation, clearly. I don't know Deontay Wilder personally or in the smallest fashion. But I would imagine when you are this great knockout puncher and you have come from nothing, literally from poverty to this extremely wealthy, this extremely popular and this extremely dominant fighter. We can put critiques of Wilder to the side for a point to, a, you know, to for argument's sake. But there is no question he was a dominant fighter. You can understand how maybe he puts his own self-value in his ability to not just win, but to dominate fighters. So what happens if you've invested your entire self-worth into one area and then in front of the entire world, you don't lose, you get your ass kicked? What happens? You blame your trainer. You blame the, 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 the armor or the walk-in attire to the ring. You say the person you fought cheated, had tape, had like a, you know, foreign substance in his glove, or he didn't have his hands taped into his glove correctly. I mean, the excuse is just piled on piled on piled. He ain't fought since. What do you think is going to happen to him next time he steps in the ring against any type of legit competition? Andre didn't shy away from that. He didn't say anything, but he knew. He had to know. Fuck, Eddie Hearn knew. No one on that entire card, not Chris Mannix, not Chris Algieri, not fucking Eddie Hearn, none of them said anything about Canelo. At the years of calling out Canelo, 
And this is the nasty thing about boxing. Because in one avenue, you understand it. Like, okay, this is clear as day. Canelo would mop the fucking ring with Demetrius Andre. But then don't then turn it around and be like, yo, why is Jamal Charlo not taking the debate? Huh? You don't think Charlo beats the dog shit out of Andre too? This is the thing that I don't like, man. Like, be consistent. If it's your opinion, if it's your perspective, if it's your vantage point, cool. I don't have to agree with you, but it's yours. The moment you start disagreeing with your own opinion, your own argument, your own perspective, dog, I look at everything that you say crazy. It's one of the reasons why I'm so against Terrence Crawford. And I don't necessarily blame him because Bud don't really talk. But I blame ESPN and all the mouthpieces because in one breath, they will say nobody wants to fight Terrence Crawford. They will say, hey, he's the boogeyman of the welterweight division. Why is nobody willing to fight Terrence Crawford? Why are all those PBC guys not wanting to fight Terrence Crawford? And as soon as they try to get that out, Sean Porter is jumping up and down saying, hey, I want to fight him. Look at me. I want to fight Terrence Crawford. Let's make it happen. And now Terrence Crawford is talking about, oh, man, I want to fight Manny Pacquiao. You can't say that everybody's ducking Terrence Crawford because he's the toughest opponent. And Errol Spence is making all this money fighting legit competition and saying, oh, man, Spence doesn't want to fight Bud. He doesn't feel he's ducking, whatever, whatever. But when Sean Porter, mind you, Sean Porter two years ago, was in the fight of the year versus Errol Spence. The fight of the year. For the last two years, he's been trying to fight Terrence Crawford. If you, if you say Spence is scared of Crawford or is ducking Bud because he's not fighting in a tough competition, he's just chasing the money, then that same rule applies for Bud. Because, yeah, Manny Pacquiao will give you more money, you know good and damn well Sean Porter is a harder fight for Terrence Crawford than Manny Pacquiao. And we all know this. So fast forward to Andre in the zone. If you're going to call out Jamal Charlo for not fighting Demetrius Andre, saying, hey, he's the champion. Got to fight the champion. Why are you not taking this challenge from the champion? Well, doesn't that same rule apply to Canelo? Because Jamal Charlo has been calling out Canelo for God knows how long. And I got homeboys. Shout out to my brother Ray Rogers. Shout out to my brother Wole. Shout out to my brother Deji. Shout out to my brother Travis Thomas. I can go on and on and on. I've had these conversations with my homeboys. I know you've had these conversations with your partners too if you are a boxing fan. There are a lot of people who question Canelo. I'm not one of them. I think Canelo is the best fighter in the world. But look at his last few fights, and you start thinking, okay, well, yeah. Kirkland was a long time ago, bro. There was a point where Canelo would get in there with all the dogs. And obviously, I'm not saying James Kirkland is an elite-level fighter. But you get what I'm saying. You're fighting Amir Khan. You're fighting a washed-up uh, Kovalev. You're fighting a lot of guys now, bro. This, this dude you just fought a few months ago, which was a nuts. Charlo... Charlo been at your doorstep for a minute now. And while I think Canelo would beat Charlo, who 
Lopez Canelo fought recently who was a better fighter than Charlo. So if you are going to call out Charlo for not taking the Andre fight, then you gotta, you better, you better call out Canelo for doing the same damn thing. But you know it doesn't happen because the the politics in boxing. And damn it, man, that thing blows me, bro. It is so frustrating because no one can call it straight. There's so many allegiances, so many backdoor channels, man. It's like, dog, don't spit at me and tell me I'm I'm being rained on, dog. You feel me? Max Kellerman does it. I love Max Kellerman. Max Kellerman is the best voice on boxing. And when he is talking about anything outside of top rank or anything outside of any type of potential top rank beef, it's it's so refreshing to hear. But the moment he starts talking about top rank, the moment he starts talking about Errol Spence as it pertains to Terrence Crawford, I got to turn it off. The best voice in boxing, I have to turn it off because of allegiance. Because of politics. We talked about it earlier with Draymond. Draymond said some wild shit. And guess what? Mum's the word. Because Draymond is connected. Kevin Durant says blatant homophobic comments. And while you could be like, dog, you know what? That was a private conversation. You shouldn't have, It should have never seen the light of day. Okay, that's fair. But so many people, shh, shh, nothing. Because Kevin Durant is one of the best players in the world. Kevin Durant is widely uh, considered one of the greatest players of all time. Kevin Durant, everybody wants a piece of KD. KD, one of my favorite players ever. But if a player who you don't like said that, if Andrew Bogut said that, he would have got his ass, he would have tore him up. If Josh Allen would have said what Draymond Green said, we would have tore him up. Ben Roethlisberger, the people who we, you know, there's a certain population, we, we know what time it is. Call it straight. Call it straight. Like that doesn't, it doesn't feel like that should, that's that tough of a request. You know what I'm saying? Call it straight. I hope y'all understand that I always, always, always try to keep it 100, 6 o'clock with y'all, man. So if anything that you have something to say to me, anything that you want to hear from me, anything that you want to challenge me on, dog, come on, bring it on. I welcome it. No, no frustration, no spice. I welcome it because you guys are very much a part of this show. And I want you all to be engaged and to get involved. So email me at quarterly report at gmail.com or tweet at the show at quarterly show q u a r t e r l e e show all right guys basketball basketball boxing y'all know where we're finishing up i'm going back to the hardwood baby i love it so much and i appreciate you guys for rocking with it all nba teams it's been a tough tough year but as always there's some real real um Difficult decisions that will be made in terms of league honors. I'm going to give you my opinion on who should make the three All-NBA teams. It's our third, our fourth, excuse me, our fourth and final topic this week. Fourth This quarter. Frankenstein put together NBA season is almost over. 
about a month away, 29, 28 days, give or take, away from the start of the play-in tournament. And don't get me started again about the play-in format. I'm not going to rain on everyone's parade. I, I feel like I'm in the minority in terms of my displeasure of the play-in tournament. But this is not about the play-in. This is not about changing the NBA. This is about appreciating those who have put forth a phenomenal season despite all of the obstacles, despite all of the hurdles. 72 games in a matter of months. We've seen star player after star player get hurt, get injured, miss significant time. Yet, 15 spots are now open. 15 to highlight and to celebrate the best of the best. And every year, this is a very difficult conversation to have because as always, it's really a matter of what do you prioritize? How do you view the NBA? How do you appreciate the best? Are you one who looks at per game stats? I already told you earlier in the show that PPG, that stuff doesn't mean anything to me. But I understand, again, I'm in the minority in that regards. No matter how many times you have these pundits and analysts and reporters tell you how, yes, this is the wave of the future analytics, and they pick and choose which, they, which, which version of advanced statistics they like. Most of them are lying through their teeth. They'll cite... PER one day, then they turn around and go box plus minus the next. And then they retweet those uh, those TPA charts that are come across all of our timelines every now and again. But hey, I'm not judging. If you base your opinion, if you critique and analyze players based upon their per game stats, we can have a conversation about that later. But if that's how you get down, shout out to you. There's no elitist judgment over this side. Some people base everything solely on wins and losses. You can't be an all-NBA player if you're not winning games. I don't necessarily agree with that. It depends on how well you're playing. It depends on your productivity. It depends on a lot of different variables. But yes, there are a lot of people who will not give the benefit of the doubt to players on losing teams. So forth and so on. But for me, it is always fascinating to see which guys get this honor. Specifically now that the NBA PA foolishly tied the NBA and the NBA PA, I should say. Foolishly tied player salaries and the ability to make money, their earning potential, the, the money that they can maximize is tied to winning this honor. An honor that is voted on by the members of the media Many of them who I don't feel know a gosh darn thing about the basketball that they watch. But whatever. I digress. It's easy to complain, much harder to put yourself out there. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. And in a year where I give these guys so much more credit than usual, the league failed them. Their greed, their own greed failed them. A pandemic failed them. The government failed them. Their owners failed them. Like everything around this season was clear that this was a this wasn't necessarily the best product that they could put forth. But we've had a hell of a year. 
And we've had a hell of a performance, or performances, I should say, by several players. So without further ado, I spent four minutes on the build. I'm going to give you my all-NBA selections if I had a vote, which I do not. But I am claiming it. I am claiming it, motherfuckers. I will have a vote. Within the next three years, I will have an NBA vote, whether it's MVP, All-NBA, the honors, etc. I know it's coming, but I'm claiming it here on episode 186. Come holla at me in like episode 300. But whatever, back to it. First team all NBA. Pretty easy, though LeBron throws a wrinkle into it because of his injury. But first team all NBA goes a little bit like this, in my opinion. First team center, Nikola Jokic. At this point, he's probably the, my MVP. I don't know if he'll get it, especially if Embiid can avoid injury. I just personally feel that Embiid has missed so many games. And though I would give the nod to Embiid if it was just all things being equal, the fact of the matter is Nikola Jokic has played damn near every game. His team has completely relied upon him. Embiid misses time, and his team literally doesn't fall in the stands. They were first before, they're first now. It's not a knock on Embiid, but it does speak to kind of the talent on that team. I guarantee you, if Nikola Jokic missed as many games as Joel Embiid did, the Nuggets probably wouldn't be in the playoffs picture in the West. So my all-NBA first-team center goes to Nikola Jokic. In the fourth position, I'm going with Giannis. I'm going with LeBron. LeBron is tough. And if you wanted to give it to Kawhi, I would 100% understand. In fact, I probably don't even need to be convinced. And as I'm talking out loud, I want to change my, my position. So, damn it, this is my show. I can do that. First team All-NBA from the front, front court. Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Kawhi Leonard. LeBron James, y'all know I love LeBron, but he missed a lot of time, man. And unlike MB, LeBron loses time. That team falls apart. Um, but I can't, Kawhi's has been a phenomenal player this year. You can make the case that he's been better than LeBron, even if LeBron was healthy, I'm going with Kawhi. So those are my front courts for my first team, all NBA, Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard. Backcourt, it's really simple. James Harden, Steph Curry. I don't even know why, I don't need to say anything. It's just running back pretty much. All NBA guards for the last eight years, first team, have been dominated by those two. And nothing is changing now. James Harden, Steph Curry in the backcourt, frontcourt, Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard. Second team All NBA honors. I'm going with my guy, Rudy Gobert. I know y'all motherfuckers don't like him. I know y'all don't respect his game. I don't understand it. It's that the Utah Jazz has had they've had the best record in the league all year long. All year long. If you take Rudy Gobert off that team, and I understand that Mike Connolly has had a phenomenal year. He's had a great year. You take Rudy Gobert off that team, I swear to you, that team is barely barely holding on to a playoff spot. And it's been this way now for years. And I don't know why. Every, I, mean, I do. We just attribute all of the success to the Utah Jazz, to Donovan Mitchell. Despite the fact that it's clear that Donovan Mitchell is, while very talented and can get hot, is not a consistent player. And it's 
His inconsistency makes him not that great of a player. He's got all the tools to be special. And when he utilizes his tools, he's very special. The problem is he just doesn't do it all that often. Rudy Gobert has taken the Utah Jazz to the best record in the league. And he just doesn't get the respect that one would deserve at that level. But whatever. I'm not going to get on this soapbox for Rudy Gobert here. He's my second team All-NBA player. Again, Embiid fans, I get it. Joel Embiid, had he been healthy, would be first team All-NBA, would be the MVP. He missed a lot of time. And his team, though they started to fall apart toward the end, they didn't, they didn't lose ground. Joel Embiid is going to be third team All-NBA. He's going to 100% make an All-NBA team, as he should. But that injury for me, the injury the time missed for me, particularly considering that Jokic and Gobert played so well this year. It's hard for me to overlook. So Gobert, second team All-NBA center. Second All-NBA in terms of the forward positions. Got to go with LeBron James. LeBron James, dog, it's amazing. The dude still gets busy now. He still gets busy now. It's crazy to see. It's crazy to witness but um, the guy's a phenomenal player, man. And there's just really not much you can say. He's LeBron James. Here's where it gets a little tricky. Second team All-NBA from the four position. I'm going, or front court position. I'm going with Bam Adebayo. This is hard considering how Miami is really struggling right now. And, you know, that team, if, if you're one of the people who align yourselves, like, hey, this team, you have to win to get this honor then, you know, you may not really fall heavily on Bam. But it's not his fault that the Heat are struggling so much. The Heat are one of these teams. Two things. The Heat are one of the teams who smelled their own shit. Started believing their own hype. They literally could have had James Harden. And Tyler Harrow was a deal breaker? You could get James Harden to pair with Jimmy Butler after a finals run? You don't have to give up Bam? And you say no because you didn't want to give up Tyler Hero? Have you seen Tyler play this year? <laughs> yeah. The Miami Heat gave it all they had to make it to the NBA Finals last year. There's a team that just plays hard 24-7. And they just don't have it in the tank. Jimmy Butler needed time to rest for obvious reasons. They were already an older team. And then they had a chance to get one of the game's best players, James Harden. And they chose not to. Felt their own shit. It happens. But I'm not going to hold that against Bam, who's played phenomenally well this season. So front court players, second team all NBA, Rudy Gobert. Um, LeBron James and Bam Adebayo. In the backcourt, I'm going with Luka Doncic and Damian Lillard. Again, I don't really feel like I have to make any explanations. You could make the case for Chris Paul. In fact, if you wanted to say Chris Paul should make second team all NBA over either Dame or Luka, you would have a great case. I am curious because both teams, both the Blazers and the Mavericks, have started to fall and lose gas. Um, again, I don't blame either of them for that. The Blazers are really one of the more disappointing teams, in my opinion. I really thought... That Covington and Derrick Jones Jr. alongside of Dame 
Nurkic being healthy, um, and then obviously CJ, his, his injury kind of derailed things for the Blazers. But I really thought Portland was going to kind of maximize, really go, they really put themselves in a position to really, you know, go for it in terms of like going all in. Because this is it for them. Like this team as constructed, this is it. And they've got some tough decisions um, ahead, primarily CJ McCollum. Because I don't think you can get rid of Dame Lillard. But this ain't working. And y'all already know my thoughts on building a team through your backcourt, but whatever. So you could say Chris Paul should get it over Dame. You could say Chris Paul should get it over um, Luka. But as it stands right now, I'm going Dame and Luka in the second team backcourt with LeBron, Bam, and Gobert in the second team frontcourt. Which means we have five spots left for all NBA spots. And I know a lot of people in Chicago, people in Atlanta, people in D.C., y'all getting nervous. Like, is your guy going to make it? Because the guard spots, as always, are the toughest spots to pull. But we're going to start in the front court. Like, build up the drama. Build up the intrigue. Third team on NBA Center, I told you, is Embiid. Embiid would have been first team had he been healthy. He missed a lot of games. His team still won without him. It's not fair. But those... These are my, um, that's my perspective on the matter, right? It's hard when you have three elite level big men. Joel Embiid, had he been healthy, would have walked away with not only first team on NBA, but also the MVP award, but he wasn't. And you got to split hair somewhere. So Joel Embiid is third team on NBA center for me. Rounding out the front court. I got to go with Paul George, man. No, well, this is tough too. We talked about what what matters most to you: wins, productivity, per game stats. I'm not biased. I'm not going to give it to Julius Randle. Julius Randle is having a really, really good year, and he probably, I don't know if he will win Most Improved, but he's firmly pushed himself in that conversation. But I can't put him in All NBA. So it's really, in my opinion, three guys vying for this final spot. And it's Paul George, it's Tobias Harris, and it's Zion Williamson. I cannot, I cannot imagine a time. Mm. And then you had Tatum too. I can't envision a time where... The 76ers could literally go beginning to end, basically, wire to wire as the best team in the conference. I know they didn't always have the number one seed. Brooklyn caught up with them, and they still may overtake them later. But Philadelphia has played so well, and I think Tobias Harris gets rewarded, not just because of the story of the team, but he's played well this year. He's played really well this year. Um, I think Zion has been better. But because the Pelicans aren't winning, I think that they're going to hold it against him. I really do. So I think it's going to be Paul George and Tobias Harris in the front court, though I personally would want Zion in there. Um, I just think when you look at the Clippers and the Sixers record, those are teams who are going to demand two All-Stars. So front court is going to be Joel Embiid, 
in my opinion, Joel Embiid, uh, Tobias Harris, and Paul George. Obviously, Kevin Durant would have been first team all NBA with the way he was playing. But again, missed so many games. Can't put him in the front court. You can't get him on an all NBA team. That would be nuts. Um, and again, his team won so many games without him. It's really hard to make that case, even though we know KD is one of the best players in the world. So that's the front court in the last two spots. Very difficult, very difficult. But Chris Paul is absolutely easily one of those last spots. There's no way Chris Paul doesn't make an all-NBA team again because despite the fact that he's been ignored and dis disrespected and undervalued for basically his entire career, Chris Paul is just one of the greatest players ever. And every time he goes to a team, that team wins. Every single time. You can't ignore his impact on the Suns, who I believe are the second best team in the West, which is nuts. And that last guard spot, I mean, you've got Zach Levine, you got Bradley Bill, you got Kyrie Irving, who's going to be a 50-40-90 guy. It's, you have Trey Young, who's all of a sudden turning on. I don't know where the voters will go. Bradley Bill leads the league in scoring, though he's had a his season this year hasn't been very good. Like there are three or four seasons that Beal has had in his career that are significantly better than this season. Um, but again, so many people value PPG over productivity. I'm exhausted with that debate. I'm not going to continue it. We'll see where the league goes, but Beal would not get an all NBA vote for me. Neither would Zach Levine. And Zach was a guy who a few weeks ago I did pencil in. I thought that it was going to be for sure because his productivity was better than Bill, though Bill had higher per game stats. But once the Bulls kind of went all in on their kind of foolish decision to get acquired Nikola Vucevic, they've kind of fallen apart and they've fallen in the stands. And though I don't hold, it's weird, right? Because I just kind of advocated for Bam Adebayo. The Bulls aren't bad because of Zach Levine. Zach Levine is actually playing fairly well this season. But they're guys who are better than him. You know what I mean? And he had a case if he were to make the playoffs. You could use that win for momentum. But if you start falling apart while other teams start to increase, that's a tough pill to swallow. So now we're down, in my opinion, to Kyrie Irving and to Trey Young. I really don't know which way this goes. Kyrie Irving is significantly better than Trey Young. Kyrie Irving has had a phenomenal year. And if I were to vote, I would vote for Kyrie. But Kyrie gets himself in all this shit. And he doesn't play. And he just takes games off from time to time. And I'm not saying he's taking it off because he's loafing. There could be real things he's going through. I'm not going to pretend like I know because I don't. His shooting numbers are phenomenal. Kyrie Irving. I would vote for Kyrie Irving, but I believe that the league is going to give it to Trey Young. The Atlanta Hawks, since they hired Nate McMillan, have tore right on up the Eastern Conference standing. They're a four seed right now. They're not going to catch Milwaukee for three, but they can have an impressive season. Like I said, we're about 30 days left in the season. If they finish with like a, a record over with like 10 more wins than losses or more, I think you have to pencil in Trey Young for that spot because he is going to get the, the lion's share of credit. And he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. He's a really, really good player. 
I think Kyrie, I mean, I know Kyrie is better, and I would lean Kyrie, but we know how things work in the league. People pick whatever reason they want to not reward players, and Kyrie's missed a lot of time himself. So I personally would rock with Kyrie for that last guard spot because he has played so well this year. But if I had to make a guess, I'm going to say that the league chooses Trey. So real quick, first team all NBA, Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard. Had a brain fart there, but I remember now James Harden, Steph Curry, first team all NBA. Second team all NBA, Rudy Gobert, LeBron James, Bam Adebayo, Luka Doncic, Damian Lillard. Third team All-NBA, going with Joel Embiid, Paul George, Tobias Harris, Chris Paul, and Trey Young, though I think Kyrie Irving should get it. I want to hear from you, though. There's a lot of, again, Zion's not on my list. Zion should be on my list. I know that very well, but he's not. Chris Paul, maybe he has a legitimate case to be second team All-NBA, if not higher. I want to hear from you guys. Let me know what you think about my all-NBA teams. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at the show at quarterlyshow, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Get involved. Get your voice heard. All right, everyone. I want to thank you guys for rocking with me for another week, another hour and a half of a phenomenal podcast. Couldn't have it without you. Please do your boy a favor. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you listen to pods. Download and subscribe. But more important, give me a review. doesn't have to be long. It can be long if you want. Let's juke the algorithms, y'all, man. Write me a sentence. Write me a few words telling me, telling your friends, telling the world why you love the Quarterly Report Podcast. I'm telling you, these things are so important. I don't know how they do it. This is above my pay grade, but every little review really does matter. So if you could spare me a few moments of your time, write a few words letting me know why you appreciate the show. And while you're there, give me five stars as well. All right, guys, make sure you stay safe. Y'all know the routine. Wash your hands, clean your ass, social distance. You understand? We almost are there. We almost are there, but we have to make sure we stay focused and we stay committed, man. Be safe out there. And I'll catch you back here next week for another episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast.